Welcome to House of David Ministries. I'm Pastor Eric Michael Teitelman. Join me as we learn about the rich heritage of our Christian faith. In each episode, we explore a unique topic that will deepen your knowledge of Christ and who we are as His people. In this episode, we will learn about the Tree of Life in the New Jerusalem and why it is there for the healing of the nations. We read about the New Jerusalem in Revelation 22. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of a street and on either side of the river was the Tree of Life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit in every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So what a beautiful picture of the kingdom of God. But this verse also raises many questions. Why is the tree of life still in the kingdom? Because I thought that in the resurrection we were raised to eternal life. And how does one tree exist in the middle of a street and on either side of a river? Or is it actually twelve trees? And why are the nations still being healed when I thought there was no sickness in the kingdom of God? Now, while I'm confident there is a physical aspect to the New Jerusalem and Christ's kingdom, I believe this verse also presents a spiritual depiction of the future. And so therefore, some of the imagery is allegorical and other details are material. While described in Christian writings, the idea of a heavenly Jerusalem, specifically the book of Revelation, also emerged in Jewish tradition following the destruction of the Second Temple. Rabbi Yochanan, a rabbinic leader in Tiberias, Israel, asserted in his 3rd century Midrashic discourse that the earthly and heavenly Jerusalem would be reunited as one in the future. His homily was based on an exposition from Psalm 122, where we read, Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together. The word compact, shechubra, which is feminine and singular, is more accurately translated as knit together. Jerusalem built up a city knit together, again suggesting the earthly and heavenly are more than connected, they are united and inseparably one. And this uniting is biblically referred to as a marriage, covenant, male to female, husband and wife. We read in Isaiah 62, You shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land any more be termed desolate. But you shall be called Hepzibah, and your land Biula, as in married, which is again is feminine. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. While this verse's spiritual aspect affirms that God will no longer forsake Israel, Our connection to the land promised to Abraham is also significantly a part of who we are as his people. If we are rejected, then our land remains desolate. And if we are reunited with God, then our land is blessed and will prosper. And interestingly, in Greek philosophy, Plato surmised that every natural object draws its existence from a metaphysical world. In other words, if there is a temple on earth, there must be a spiritual temple. And if there is an earthly Jerusalem, there must be a spiritual one as well. Now we know biblically that all things on earth are patterned after a heavenly blueprint. 
as we read in Exodus 25, and see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. In Hebrews 8, we read, For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. The belief in a heavenly Jerusalem is so entrenched in Jewish thought that the rabbis imagined it was created from the foundation of the world. Midrashic literature from the second century is filled with descriptions of the rebuilt Jerusalem, and these fantasies take on the form of a heavenly Jerusalem. Rabbi Yochanan questioned whether the heavenly Jerusalem is merely a template or a mere image of the earthly Jerusalem, or is it a reality unto itself that one day will materialize on earth? Another rabbi surmised that the heavenly Jerusalem exists intact despite the temporal condition. In contrast, Rabbi Yochanan argued that the heavenly Jerusalem would only be realized when the earthly Jerusalem is restored. So which view is correct? Well, we actually know the biblical answer. In Revelation 21, we read, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The heavenly is being prepared as we write, and in God's appointed time, the two will be reunited as one. And so hence our focus in this teaching being on the healing of the nations. If we incorrectly assume this vision is of a spiritual nature only, then we eradicate the physical and wrongly conclude that the whole of creation is nothing more than a temporary shadow of the greater spiritual dimension to come. And this type of thinking stems from Gnosticism, which, by the way, also refutes the bodily resurrection of Christ and his church. Now, Yeshua taught us to pray Matthew 6. He said, Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And he appeared after the resurrection in Luke 24. We read, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and, and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of the dust, which is Adam, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. The implication here is that we have both a natural image inherited from Adam and a spiritual one that we receive from Christ. And so therefore, in the resurrection, the natural and the spiritual are united. And we understand that the healing of the nations is both individual and collective. And our healing is also both physical and spiritual. The fall of man at the Garden of Eden is well understood in Jewish and Christian theology, being the origins of sin and our sinful disposition. However, if we know God's progression of healing the nations, we must visualize the spiritual realm and see his cosmic restoration plan in it. In the 16th century, a group of mystic Jews migrated from Germany to Israel, settling in the town of Safed or Safant, located north of Tiberias. And the leader of this community, Rabbi Isaac Luria, taught how the world could be restored from its fallen condition to the perfection of the Garden of Eden. 
The rabbinic perceptions of the spiritual realm are complex and difficult to correlate with Scripture. But in their prophetic wisdom, we find emerging patterns of Christ and his creation revealed and fulfilled in the New Testament. Rabbi Lurie explained that in creating the world, God first created ten vessels, called kalipot, to contain ten independent points of the divine light, sephirot, which means light emitted from the eyes. These ten sephirot reflect the individual qualities or attributes of God's nature, emanating from the realm of Keter, God's crown, as he is king, and these bring life to the world. Each attribute represents one aspect of the Godhead and one of the names of the Holy One. Rabbi Luria then said that the vessels holding these emanations shattered and died because they were not strong enough to contain the divine. But how could God create a vessel destined to fail? I mean, there must be an explanation. Well, I believe these vessels represent the creation, and they incorporate the angelic realm and the creation of man. We are the earthen vessels, as we were made in his image, purposed to manifest his qualities and divine attributes. And I also believe these vessels were forcibly separated from God and therefore shattered because of our rebellion and consequent sin. So God did not fail in his creation, nor did he create evil. The state of separation or partitioning of light into distinct attributes introduced diversity into the creation. And this diversity allowed for the possibility of sin and allowed humanity to choose between good and evil, what we call free will. In other words, something independent now existed in addition to God. And yet we know that nothing can exist apart from him. We were created to be entirely dependent upon him and in divine unity and holiness with his very being. And it was only in our willful disobedience and sin that we became separate from God. And so thus mankind and the fallen angels were forced to descend into the realm of unholiness, causing the universe to disintegrate. We read in Isaiah 59, it says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. And as the Lord spoke to Moses in Exodus 33, he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And regarding the angels, the Lord says in Revelation 12, is Satan's tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And so for the universe to be restored and returned to its natural order, God must restore these broken vessels. And we know that salvation was promised to the seed of Abraham, both Jew and Gentile, who believe in Christ because we are these earthen vessels. And it was not for the angels who sinned. We read in 2 Peter chapter 2, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. But in restoring humanity to our pre-fallen condition, God is also restoring the creation in the process. In Judaism, this cosmic restoration plan is called tikkun, and it means rectification or restoration of the broken vessels. This restoration consequently brings about the restoration of the entire universe. And once it is repaired, these new vessels will be able to contain the light of God. 
However, the rabbis inaccurately believe that humanity, specifically the Jewish people, has the ability and the responsibility to gather these broken vessels and the scattered sparks of the divine light and reunite them through human action, namely obeying the law of Moses. They say it is man's duty to elevate the sparks of holiness from their fallen state. The rabbis also incorrectly believe that in fulfilling the law, the Jewish people will build the heavenly Jerusalem, which when complete will manifest here on earth. And contrary to their opinions, we know that the church has received a deposit of this divine light in Christ. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. God is healing and restoring a remnant of humanity to its pre-fallen condition. And he is building the heavenly Jerusalem, or as we call it, the new Jerusalem, which is the restored creation and the kingdom of God. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Now, biblically, we understand that our bodies, these earthen vessels, contain our soul and the divine Spirit of God. And this imagery is often associated with clay pots or a tent made of animal skin. We read in Jeremiah 18, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter, So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. The rabbis believe the vessels that contain emanations of the divine light act like a shell or the bark of a tree. And these are analogous to a fruit surrounded by a peel that houses or conceals a spark of holiness. We read in Genesis 2, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The rabbis say these shells exist and are sustained by the divine spark. As we read in John 1, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the rabbis call this outer shell kelipah, which they use to describe evil and impurity, meaning the other side, the other side that opposes God's holiness. Their description is comparable to the carnal or sinful nature of the flesh. And so our bodies act as a shell housing the soul and the divine spark that is being redeemed through the blood of Christ. Paul said in Galatians 5, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. In Romans 8 we read, Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now for these holy sparks to be released, the encumbering shell must be removed like the husk from a wheat kernel. Just as the Lord declared in Genesis 3, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. 
Yeshua said in John 12, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. In Matthew 3, the Lord said, His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chafe with unquenchable fire. And Paul said in Galatians 5, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so our flesh must die so that our redeemed souls can be permanently freed from our old nature and the sins of the flesh. And in the resurrection, our souls will unite with a new incorruptible body. Yeshua said in Matthew 9, Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. And in the words of our sages, with emphasis added, we read, When the sparks of holiness, which is our soul, are extracted from the calipot, earthen vessels, and are rebuilt, resurrected, into the vessels of tikkun, restoration, the lights that formerly illuminated the creation can once again be drawn down, but this time the repaired vessels will be able to contain the divine light. It's interesting to read how Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 that we may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Then we will shine among them like the stars in the sky. So in returning to our original questions, why is a tree of life still in the kingdom of God? And how can one tree exist in the middle of a street and on either side of a river? We are reminded that the book of Revelation gives us both a physical and spiritual, meaning mystical, picture of the kingdom. From the book of Proverbs, we learn that the tree of life represents wisdom and the law of the wise, and it bears the fruit of the righteous of him who wins souls. And so therefore, the tree of life is a wholesome tongue that speaks comforting words of the hope of our blessed Christ and of his soon appearing. In Jewish thought, the ten emanations of God, the sephirot, are linked and shaped in a spiritual sense into a complex human-like figure called the tree of life. Now, specifically, the rabbis associate the wisdom of the Torah with the tree of life. But we know that Christ is the Word of God who is made flesh, and He is the wisdom of God revealed to the creation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so, therefore, the tree of life is a picture of Christ and all who are found in Him. We read in Revelation 22, it says, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city, the new Jerusalem. And so we now see the correlation between Christ, the tree of life, his holy city, the new Jerusalem, and the church, which is the ecclesia of God. We read in Revelation 21, Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now this city, whose builder maker is God, will come to the earth in the millennial kingdom. And this will be our Sabbath rest in Christ. But at the present time, we are living in a weekday, or a workday. And this time for us is to work and to prepare for our eternal rest, laboring with Christ to build a dwelling place for the divine in this world 
We read in Ephesians chapter 2, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The ultimate healing of the nations and restoration of the world will occur in the resurrection and rapture, ushering in the kingdom of God. And this healing will continue as we serve Christ in his kingdom as kings and priests. And so therefore we read, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And Yeshua said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Yeshua is the tree of life in the midst of his city. As we read in Revelation 21, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And we are the branches that bear the leaves for the healing of the nations, the fruit of our labor. And the Lord will remove the spirit of impurity from the world, and the divine service will be elevated to the realm of holiness, which is the divine emanation of unity. And when the church is one, united, and no longer separated because of sin and unholiness, all the world's people will live in harmony as one. And then the world will be healed, for we, the church, are the heart of the world. Amen. If you have enjoyed this teaching from House of David Ministries, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our website where you can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We pray the Lord richly bless you and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.